Welcome to the Group Dynamics Dispatch, the official podcast of the Colorado Group Psychotherapy Society. Angelo Silberti recording in beautiful Boulder, Colorado. In this monthly podcast, we will be featuring guests from many different backgrounds that use dynamic thinking and psychotherapeutic interventions to bring about change and growth through group process. It's our hope that in listening to the podcast, you may just be inspired to think more deeply about your own experience in groups, as well as to hear what makes great group leaders tick. If you take a listen and would like to support the show, we would encourage you to leave us a review on iTunes as well as to use the Amazon banner ad that is featured on our webpage, www.cogps.org. If you click through the Amazon banner ad, it does not cost you anything, but we do get some commission change, which helps us with some of the costs associated with putting on the show. Also, check out our social media pages at Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at forward slash CO group psych. The links to our profiles can also be found on our website. Also, if you have any feedback for the podcast or ideas for featured guests, subjects, or panels, please feel free to email us at coloradogroups at gmail.com. We really appreciate your listening and support and hope to see you at one of our events or our annual conference. So I'm your host, Angelo, and I'm inviting you to pull up a seat, lend an ear, and hear about what's happening in the ever-evolving circle of group dynamics. featuring Mark Azalea, who's the new president of the Colorado Group Society. And this guy's awesome. He's just super direct, right off the cuff, and tells it the way it is. So he opens up quite a bit about his history with recovery, how he got involved with Naropa, and his early experiences at HUPA, as well as what's motivating him to become the president of Colorado Group Society and where he really plans on steering the ship moving forward. This one is a really honest and real conversation. So there are some F-bombs. If you've got the kiddos around, you might want to throw the earbuds in. But overall, this is a wonderful interview. Great listen. I think you're going to really enjoy it. And without further ado, here's the interview. Hello and welcome to the Group Dynamics Dispatch. Really excited to have Mark Azalea today on the show. Mark is a psychotherapist in private practice and the current president of COGPS. He blends his backgrounds in neuroscience and Eastern religion to help clients that are struggling with addiction, trauma, and social anxiety. Mark has worked in a variety of settings, including hospice care, a court-mandated treatment center, and a therapeutic preschool. He's also been known to work it, or shall we say, twerk it, on the dance floor. In his own words, Mark says that he aims to, quote, help clients recognize how to care for themselves in mind, body, and spirit, and develop a playful curiosity towards their internal experience, end quote. Mark currently runs three groups that focus on substance use, and in the process of, and he's in the process of starting a supervision group. Very excited to have you on the show, Mark. I'm really thanks happy for, to be here. Thanks for joining us. 
How's your weekend going? It's going pretty well. We've had a really good board meeting. Totally. Uh, a lot of exciting things for CBGPS in the future. Um, I'm really excited. I'm really excited to be working with a great team. You yeah. happen to be on it. <laughs> I happen to be on it. Yeah, and full disclosure, um, I am Mark's vice president. So this is, I think, giving us an opportunity to get to know each other better. feels like we've known each other for, what, maybe uh, seven months now? Yeah, Not almost like half a year, something like that. Right. But um, I think as I've gotten to know you better, one of the things I really appreciate is um, you seem to blend a very, very intelligent, quick, detail-oriented mind with a very kind of playful spirit. You know how to really get things done, but you can also do it in such a way that's really fun and playful and keeps everybody really engaged. Do you, do you think that's a fair characterization oh, of you? Thank you. That's like, that actually touches me. That's like really nice. <laughs> yeah, that's like kind of what I'm going for. Yeah, well, I don't think it's any, yeah. I don't think it's any, um, it doesn't seem like any coincidence that uh, we're all together. I mean, I think there's something about how you magnetize people and how you really give people a feeling that they have um, an opportunity to really bring themselves to the organization and to bring their passions. That helps create an atmosphere where people want to join, people want to kind of jump in and see what they can create with you and together. Yeah, I mean, that's the way I want to run it, is that like, it needs to be fun yeah. or else we're all going to burn out. Totally. Um, and, you know, I just think like one of my gifts is creating hype. I like getting yeah. people like hyped up and excited and get the forward momentum going. And I really like building things and, and blasting off. Uh-huh. So creating hype before you have to deal with all the unconscious resistance that might come up afterwards. Yeah. 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 If, if you build enough like fire, then yeah. like sometimes it can burn through a lot of the unconscious stuff. Absolutely. People are you're like, you know what? This is going to be really hard, but we're going to do it anyway because this is going to be a good time too. Yeah. It's going to be a party. You right. know, it's, it's going to be fun. That's right. Yeah. I like that. I love that. So I would love to hear a little bit about how you came to the party, how um, you got into the field of counseling psychology, and then from there, how you got into groups. Yeah. Um, so I got into therapy. Let's see. I've been in therapy for about eight years now, maybe mm -hmm. nine years now. Mm -hmm. I got into therapy. Oh. I was using a bunch of different drugs and, you know, decided to go and ask for some help. Mm -hmm. And in a very real way, like therapy saved my life. You wow. know, my, I was in my life was going towards a terminal endpoint. I was either going to be dead or be in jail forever. Mm -hmm. um, so therapy was really helpful for me. And it was really good for me to have a place just to sit and to talk and to um, be myself and figure out what was going on. I had a lot of, you know, thoughts and beliefs about the world that were very childish and, and, and immature and not really based in reality. Mm -hmm. And therapy really helped me to understand and correct a lot of those and, and get over a lot of the uh, childhood issues that I had too and make myself free, make myself more of a freer person. Mm -hmm. um, so that's kind of where it started, so I got really interested in it. And then it was really that direct experience. Yeah, it was being a client. It was being a client. Yeah, and just knowing that it like really, really helped me. Mm -hmm. um, like I said, saved saved my life. Before you had never really been interested in psychology per se. Not really. Uh -huh. I mean, I actually I went to. Uh, it was much more fun just to rock out and do drugs, drink alcohol, have fun. Pretty much, <laughs> you know. I mean, actually, I mean, so I, I went to Carnegie Mellon for undergrad and I studied computer science. So I actually uh -huh. didn't get into psychology for a while. I started uh -huh. doing uh, computer science because I was I was actually like, I mean, my story was kind of convoluted but I was actually like a huge dork like I wasn't like a gangster like uh -huh. party person uh -huh. I was just like a big nerd uh -huh. um, and I you know like play video games so I was like okay video games computer science whatever mm -hmm. um, so I did that and I got into that school and didn't like the um, lifestyle because it was just a lot of you know sitting in the lab and coding and typing mm -hmm. and just like 
being cloistered and I really kind of isolated yeah super isolated you yeah. know and I wanted to actually like talk to people mm -hmm. um, so you know I ended up switching to, to neuroscience after that because at CMU neuroscience like psychology and computer science are linked through neuroscience mm -hmm. so a lot of my credits counted oh, wonderful. Um, for uh -huh. that switch so it's kind of like an arbitrary switch I was like I, was like, I, I don't want to program but I want my classes to, to still count. Yeah, sure. Well, that makes sense. You don't have to start over. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. They're like, all right, neuroscience, whatever. So and the I, average I person that. changes their major like three to five times, I've heard, in the course of their college career, something like that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it's like kind of dumb that we ask like 18-year-olds to plan out the rest of their lives. Oh, that's incredible, isn't it? Right. That makes yeah. like no sense to me. Right. But, you know, here we are. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So I was studying neuroscience and I was doing research on uh, mindfulness meditation. We were actually putting people oh. through the scanner. Uh -huh. um, I did fMRI studies. So we uh -huh. would see how meditation changed the brain structure and function. Uh -huh. And um, I was writing these papers on like how good meditation was and how great it is and how everyone should do it and uh -huh. how it has all these like you know beneficial effects. And I wasn't I wasn't mad. I just wasn't doing it. Uh -huh. You know, so I was you like, were practicing yourself, but you were really interested in meditation as a subject. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I wasn't practicing it because I was in my addiction and you know didn't have time for that shit. <laughs> but it might have been aspirational myself. at that point. Maybe someplace inside of you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was definitely called to it. Mm -hmm. You know. Um, and at that point, I went and I did a a, a dot tune at the. Um, uh, Allegheny Zen Center, which is like a Buddhist Zen temple, which is outside of Pittsburgh, um, mm -hmm. where I went to school. And that really opened my eyes to the practice. I did that after graduating. Oh, interesting. Um, after graduating college. Yeah. Because oh. I was working at CMU for a while uh -huh. um, afterwards, just in the labs. I see. Um, so I did that kind of in between that. So this was also when you were in early recovery? Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. definitely. This is when I was off of pretty much all the hard drugs. I was still like smoking weed. Uh -huh. um, but I was off like all the life-threatening drugs, uh -huh. um, and that really opened my eyes. And I and I wanted to, you know, that kind of being the person that I am, I wanted to go to move to Cambodia and become a monk. Uh huh. And I got a lot and of if feedback. If you're gonna do it, you're gonna do it all the way. All the way, yeah, you know, yeah. like, just, like <laughs> drive it to the ground. Right. And my family and friends got really like scared for me and they didn't want me to do that because I bet they were scared because they knew you could do it like when you set your mind to something <laughs> you're gonna do it and so that was maybe like yeah. it wasn't just an idea it was really something that probably realistically you might have done huh that's true yeah they, they knew that I was gonna go there and like maybe never come back right exactly <laughs> like just yeah. monk forever right you know um and yeah I could be kind of an extreme person sometimes so I didn't do it that comes in the field of for those of us who are familiar with uh personal recovery stories. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. yeah, I mean, that's yeah. like everything we do, we just do hard as shit. Totally. All <laughs> in, know? you know? All yeah. in. All <laughs> in. It's like a binge everything. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> you know, which is, you know, it's fine. You don't know how to work with it. Right. Um, so, I just decided not to do that. I talked to my advisor at, at CMU and she uh, she said, go to Naropa and nowhere else. She's like, apply there and oh, wow. go so to grad school there. Oh, wow. So she introduced you to Naropa? Yeah. Had you already known about Naropa University at that point or was it was it really her that was connecting you to Naropa? It was, it was really her. Uh -huh. I mean, in retrospect, the so my long-term girlfriend at the time had given me Shambhala, Sacred Path of the Warrior, which is the book from Chogim Trumpa, mm -hmm. the founder of Naropa. Mm -hmm. And I didn't put two and two together, but that book was actually incredibly pivotal for me mm -hmm. in early recovery. Like I got that junior year of college and read that like over and over and over again. So um, really, you really resonated with it. Yeah, I really resonated with the whole idea of the cocoon, uh -huh. um, which for the, the viewers, like the idea of like being in this like bubble that's right. both like a bubble of comfort and a bubble of like mental formation uh -huh. of thinking that like you have everything figured out or thinking that you understand what's going on and it's, yeah. it's a prison. Yeah. 
Um, and it's a perfect metaphor for addiction. Yeah. Yeah, it really it's, is. It's, we're anesthetized when we're in the cocoon. We're numbed. Mm -hmm. And that's really how being high and stoned and drunk for uh, those of us who've been in that spot can really feel. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, the thing that really got me sober was, you know, especially from weed, because weed is, a, I think, for me, a very cocooning drug uh -huh. because it's, it's subtle in its ways and it's very, like... Um, Nefarious, I guess it, it's very like it's cl it's cloying. Totally. I guess would be my word for it. Uh -huh. um, when I was in therapy, I came to this night. I forgot what it was like to be sober. Mm -hmm. Like I was feeling sober, and I was afraid of those feelings because mm -hmm. I, my mind had oriented to just being high all day, every day, mm -hmm. um, and that really scared me. Yeah, and really inspired me to kind uh of -huh. to kind of get get clean from that drug. Um, so yeah, so I, I got that book, and then I went to Naropa. Did the contemplative program there, which is a mindfulness-based program mm -hmm. um, in kind of Buddhist psychology. And Could I ask you about that? Yeah. So Naropa yeah. has um, a number of different graduate tracks that mm -hmm. a psychology student can take: the transpersonal track, the contemplative track, the somatic track. Would you say a little bit about what um, attracted you to the contemplative psychotherapy track? Yeah. So what attracted me there was really the the mindfulness practice. Mm -hmm. You know, because. I was going to be a monk, you know, just a couple months before. So I like right. that in, in that program, there's uh, retreats built in. Uh -huh. So there are, there are, you do two-week retreats um, every semester. Uh -huh. And that is really what it would attracted me to it. Yeah. Um, also it's like the most monastic of the three tracks. <laughs> right, maybe, exactly. Yeah, yeah the closest, because I was still in the monk trip. <laughs> right, you right. know? Yeah, yeah. Um, so I just went with that. Yeah. You know, kind of like arbitrary. Um, and I like the cohort model. Uh -huh. So that's one thing that I think was different between the contemplative and the transpersonal track is that there's this, you, you stay with the same people throughout the whole time. Um, which, to kind of answer the beginning question, that's what got me into groups because that's, as part of Naropa, you're in these process groups mm -hmm. um, with your cohort members mm -hmm. every semester. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know what that was. Like, uh -huh. I had no idea what that would be like at all. <laughs> yeah. Like, I was just like, oh, cool, we get to, like, hang out in a room and, like, talk about life. And it's, like, not that. Yeah. <laughs> At all. Lo and behold, yeah, totally. Different experience. Yeah. You know, like I, I go there and um, uh, Jeff Price, who is actually a, um, a Colorado group leader, right. is leading my, my group. And, and he just like says, the only instructions to put your thoughts and feelings into words. Uh-huh. And then he just day one, sentence one, sentence one, sentence one of group process class. Yeah, yeah. Just like day one, sentence one. And then he just stops talking. Right. Right. So paint us the picture. How yeah. many people are in this room? Uh, I think there was eight of us to begin with. Eight of us. And what, yeah. what are like the, what's the age range, experience level? What are, what are some of the differences in the room of, of, all, of this group all of a sudden that you, you're now going to be a part of for the next three years? Yeah, it's all over the place. Yeah. So like, like, I, I, like so I, um, I'm the youngest. Uh-huh. Um, oh, you were the baby of the group. Yeah, I'm the baby, I'm the baby of the group yeah. by like five years. Oh, wow. I tend wow. to be, I, I, like, I'm, I'm the baby in almost every position that uh -huh. I'm in. It's a role that's familiar to you? Yeah, because yeah. I'm just, I don't know, I'm just young and I do a bunch of shit. Uh -huh. So I, I, end up, I end up being in like more advanced positions, uh -huh. such as the presidency GPS, uh -huh, right, <laughs> like right. way before, you know, you quote should be or uh -huh. something, but uh -huh. whatever. Um, so yes, yeah, so I'm the baby of the group by like five years. Um, my group had only, no, actually, it was, it was actually a, a, fairly, a fairly even split between men and women. Um, and people from just all over the country. Mm -hmm. um, and very, I mean, as I came to learn, varying different, like, worldviews. Uh -huh. Like, incredibly different totally. worldviews. Mm -hmm. um, and I was coming in with my worldview, which was, like, still, like, 
early recovery, still kind of party mentality, still uh-huh. trying to like make friends. Because in full disclosure, you, know? you were still using, you were maybe trying more of like a harm reduction approach at this point in your life? Yeah, yeah. So, so the first year of Naropa, I was, I was still smoking weed. I was trying to quit it, but I was still smoking on mm-hmm. and off. Um, and I was still using uh, like ecstasy and LSD mm-hmm. um, recreationally. Mm-hmm. I was doing like, <laughs> I kind of used like the spiritual bypassing reason mm-hmm. to be like, oh, it's like a special occasion or like, oh, it's gonna open my mind. So uh-huh. I was still doing that. Um, I'm totally sober now, but back then it was it was more casual use, but it wasn't uh, again not like life threatening use. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Uh huh. So I was still kind of in that frame. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I thought we would just kind of just hang out and make friends, and that's not and share a lot of similarities and um, just have a good time together and laugh and connect and yeah. You know, it's interesting. I think because uh, have going, having gone to the contemplative program in Europa as well, I think there is this idea of we're going to go to the school, with a, which has a very unique focus, mm-hmm. and we're going to be surrounded by a lot of very like-minded people who have the same interests, um, same practices, same worldview, a lot of sameness, mm-hmm. you know, and it's like there's this idea it's going to be a very comfortable situation, and then all of a sudden you go and you find out, oh, wait a second, you know, there's all this difference. In yeah. the midst of you know con- being attracted to uh, the same sort of contemplative approach, you know, and, mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden having to contend with that for the next three years, people you like, people you don't like, people you want to sleep with, people you don't. Definitely, yeah, definitely. And, and Naropa, it pulls, it pulls a lot of odd birds. Yeah, you know, just because it is such like a niche program, uh-huh. and I think people come to it in so many different ways uh-huh. that some people, and I would put myself in this boat, used it as personal therapy. Yeah. You know, I mean, I was still in a very much vulnerable healing space and Naropa was very helpful for me Uh to do that. So I was like trying to be really open and perhaps for some people like way too open, Uh you know, and some people like were doing strictly a school, you know, like like it's therapist training. Uh And like that was very hard for me to kind of be around. Uh Um, You know, some people were doing it as to deepen their like Buddhist practice. Uh So they were like very religious and very spiritual. Austere, almost monastic. Right. Around that. And I was so... That might have been my shtick. No, it's yours more like <laughs> yeah, more like monastic, yeah. Yeah, that might have been my shtick when I first went to Naropa. Yeah, like Initially. super serious? Yeah, super serious. Zen student, you know. Yeah. Yeah, but yeah, like student warrior. Luckily that thawed over time, but it's good. Yeah. Good to see what's underneath that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Let me tell you. <laughs> so uh, so yeah, so yeah, just all a lot of difference. And uh, I mean, with the group, just seeing when given no instruction how much conflict can arise Mm -hmm. um, and how much like vulnerability can arise and Mm -hmm. I got like a lot of a lot of feedback Mm -hmm. because I was one of the main vocal people in my group I tend to be a a talk a lot person Mm -hmm. in group Mm -hmm. Um, so people needed to wanted to compete with you for airtime or maybe felt envious of just how comfortable you felt taking up space in the group yeah yeah there's like you know there's a small group of us that talked more and then a Uh lot of our group was actually pretty quiet Uh Um, and I went through some of the similar group things of like getting mad at them like why aren't you showing up for yeah, me why, why aren't you, you meeting me, me work so hard yeah exactly why make me work so hard like i want to know about you what the fuck uh-huh. and then them you know coming back at me like you don't give us any space you don't whatever mm-hmm. you know um which is good you know it's good it's good to get all of that and i got a lot of something that naropa i don't know or maybe at least my group i felt like i was scapegoated for my addiction a lot because i came in so i mean so naropa i think has a has a shadow mm-hmm. of for masculinity, for aggression, mm-hmm. and for academia, mm-hmm. and I came from all of those backgrounds. Mm-hmm. Um, 
so I'm like I'm a very aggressive person or can mm -hmm, be mm -hmm. um, especially then I was it was more anger now I think mm -hmm. it's more aggression mm -hmm. um, and I actually have a research background so I really like empirical things and I'm mm -hmm. very focused um, and you know I like consider myself as masculine and mm -hmm. I always get goaded a fair amount mm -hmm. you know when I would talk about especially my past um, you know the, the parties I would go to and then the shit I would get into and stuff that was vulnerable and painful for me mm -hmm. but wasn't really understood in mm -hmm. the Naropa context they didn't understand that you weren't war storing, that it was actually something you were really struggling with, or the, the, the particular suffering that was driving you to party in that kind of way wasn't really understood, or there wasn't space enough to really hear that because people are already having their own reactions or projections on you? Yeah, I, th I think the second one. The second one. I mean, and I, I was definitely unskillful in telling those stories where they probably came off as war storing or as mm -hmm. like bragging mm -hmm. or whatever. Mm -hmm. So I was like, you know, like misogynistic or you know mm -hmm. I was like just like a party dude you know like I was like put into this category mm -hmm. of like just bro and that's kind of not who I am at all um, and I think I was trying to share the suffering underneath but I can own that I think I was very unskillful at the time of getting to that of getting to like yeah even though I was partying and then fucking around like I was actually really alone and actually like really um, sad <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> you know, and like miserable and like confused. Yeah, totally about like why I felt that way. Yeah, you know, um, so yeah, getting a lot of that feedback was actually very helpful. And just watching, you know, it's one thing that then Naropa taught me that that Jeff I think embodies very well, as does Bob Unger, who's another Colorado group uh, person, is how hard it is to do nothing in group. You know, like it's so easy to get induced and to get pulled into just like wanting to make friends with people or wanting to break up a fight or wanting to like be included do whatever. nothing as a group leader or do no, nothing as a group member do nothing as a group leader as a as a group leader yeah like actually just to hold the space uh -huh. and just like and i think both of them do an amazing job something i hope to emulate where they're they're like samurai like they can like do like the one strike at uh -huh. like the perfect moment yeah that just like tips the group energy totally but most of the time, they're actually pretty quiet. That's so interesting you say that because I remember watching Bob Unger and Jeff Price yeah. work for the first time, and I expected them to be so much more active. Yes. yes. And what I actually saw was a lot of space, and that was very disorienting at first. Mm -hmm. So there is something to be said about kind of how they don't interfere with the group process. There's almost, uh, I'd be here, curious to hear your thoughts about this, but there almost seems like just this inherent trust in the process itself and the way people are engaging. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree with that completely. Like, I think that comes with a lot of experience, something that I'm still trying to work on as a group leader, mm -hmm. but it's like this thing of, and, and I like to call it a masculine trait. I think it's the idea of like, watching the babies play in the sandbox and knowing they're not gonna get hurt. Mm -hmm. You know, like being like, or actually even to the point of like, even maybe inducing a little bit of awkwardness or a little bit of like friction mm -hmm. because you know it's good for them. Uh huh. Kind you of know? make it make the situation a little uncomfortable, right? Yeah, yeah. I think there's like there's like a Freud quote quote that says um, analysis should be sufficiently frustrating. Uh huh. And he goes on to like talk about what that means. But well, like I think did. my clients will will be happy to hear that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, it's like just like a little bit uncomfortable. Yeah, totally. Um, which I think those leaders really do a great job of doing because yeah. it just creates enough fire, like enough of a little ember to get things moving. Uh huh. Um, kind of to break up in some sense the cocoon like you're talking mm -hmm. about you know in the cocoon that Trunka talks about things are very safe and predictable and routine and nothing mm -hmm. is really happening um, but when we're in a situation that's spontaneous and uncomfortable 
all of a sudden it's kind of catalytic, all these things might happen. Was that your sort of yeah, experience? Absolutely. Like, yeah, absolutely. It's like, it's like when you start to like break away at it uh-huh. and start to um, like break at social norms. Uh-huh. You know, it's like, what if I say something and no one says anything back? And I bet that happened probably at some point in the three years. A lot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's like yeah. I'm telling a story and I'm like really animated and then it's just like dead fish in the middle of the groove. Uh-huh. And it's just like, wow, what do I do with that? Yeah. And then here yeah. comes like this flood of emotions that now I get to right. like experience and I get to work with. Right. You know, um, or what happens if, you know, the group is safe enough that when I tell somebody, I, I actually get like critical feedback back. And I bet that happened too. A lot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Sure did. Yeah. You know, like instead of getting like just like the patronizing, like, oh, that's really interesting. You get like, that really hurt me. Yeah. Or like when you said that, I thought about this time with my mom and I'm like actually freaking traumatized right now. Yeah. Or you saying that, you know what? I want to leave the group right now. I'm right. like barely staying here right now. I'm, I just want to get up and leave. It's like, whoa, did I really <laughs> just have this that, that effect on this person? Yeah. Just seeing like the impact. Yeah. You know, and it's, it's breaking social norms. It's just, I think that's one of the main benefits of group. That's, that's one thing I really love about group mm-hmm. is that if it's sufficiently safe, you can actually get into the undercurrent of interaction. Kind of safe enough to be able to experience lack of safety. Right. And, and maybe a kind of a paradoxical way. I actually like that. Yeah. 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 Or safe, safe enough to like tread into unknown waters. Yeah. Um, knowing that kind of back to our sandbox metaphor that like the leader is going to make sure that you don't get hurt. Right. Too bad. You might get hurt a little bit. But that's good for you. Uh-huh. You know, but you won't get hurt too bad. Uh-huh. And I think it takes a lot of trust and it takes a very skilled group leader to know when to do that. Yeah. Um, and to be able to hold a space like that. Absolutely. You know, one of the things I'm struck by is how synchronistic it was for you as somebody who was really in early recovery mm-hmm. with a lot of those issues being pretty central to your life at that point to end up in a group with Jeff Price where... Um, so much of Jeff's work is on recovery. Yeah. Yeah. How, how wonderful. I mean, how auspicious to have really gotten paired with like the perfect group leader at that time for you. Yeah. With like one of like the greats. I didn't know. I didn't yeah. know who he was. Yeah. You know? Um, but yeah, it was, it was nice. You mm-hmm. know, it was nice to really get that. I'm actually still in a group with Jeff. Oh. Um, we are, our cohort um, and other Naropa alumni have continued that process group. So, you have, so yeah. you're still in a process group with Jeff. I'm still in a process group with Jeff. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it continued after graduation, and we still it meets every other week. No kidding. Um, so that's my current group therapy. Well, and so you guys have added other group members from the community. Mm-hmm. Very yeah, cool. it started as our little process group continuing, but some people have dropped off, and we've added other Naropa grads. I think yeah. we've, we've limited it to Naropa people. Yeah. Um, but it's contemplative and transpersonal. It sounds like for you, being a group member has been absolutely essential to being a group leader. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, that's one thing I like about um, our parent organization, AGPA, uh-huh. is that it has that experiential piece, that institute piece, mm-hmm. where I get to go and be a group leader and just be like, or be a group member and just remind myself like, oh yeah, this works, mm-hmm. you know? And it's the same, I mean, that's why I became a therapist is my experience as a client. Right. You know, like I'm the kind of person that like, I need to experience it to do it. Uh-huh. You know, I, I don't want to be doing a service that I don't know works, uh-huh. you know? Yeah. Um, so you I don't really be able to believe in it. Know that what you're offering is good medicine. Yeah, I need to know that. Yeah, like I can't be a salesperson for something that is just like a dumb product or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like I need to really go through it, mm-hmm. and I've been through it. And I continue to go through it. You know, like the fire of, of being a client, absolutely being a group member. It, totally, it sounds like you jump in over and over again to the live experience of a group process, being a member of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I'm at a point now where like. I don't, want to, I don't want to sound arrogant, but like I, I think I feel like I've done a lot of healing. 
Uh-huh. Um, and I'm way more solid than I have been. Uh-huh. So now places, especially like AGPA, is a place where I can jump in and play in group process. Ah, nice. Where like I'm like a little more insulated now, yeah. so I can actually take more risks. Yeah. And I, I like that. I mean, it's like, it's a really fun, it's a really fun game for me. Absolutely. You know? Yeah. So you bring up AGPA. Would you, would you say a little bit about how you got involved in AGPA, what your ex- first experience was like? And for some people who maybe have never been to AGPA, maybe even don't know what those letters stand for, what would you say by way of kind of introducing mm-hmm. that situation? Yeah, so AGPA stands for the American Psych- Group Psychological Association. Uh-huh. Um, it's the parent organization of COGPS, which is uh-huh. a Colorado Group Psychotherapy Society uh-huh. um, who's producing this podcast. So uh-huh. they're like kind of our, our mothership. Uh-huh. And what they do is they offer um, tons of education material around cutting-edge group practice, uh-huh. um, pulling from every kind of school psych- psychotherapy you can think of. And the way that they do it, what really drew me to the organization is they offer a lot of experiential content. Mm-hmm. So the way their, their conference is set up is the first two days are called the Institute. And in those first two days, you're a member for about eight hours a day of group yeah. process. It's a lot, yeah, and, yeah, and yeah, I know you've been there. It's, it's a, it's a trip. Um, it is a trip, and and you're a member of groups with famous group leaders from around the world. Uh-huh. You know, like the best of the best are there, um, and you just get to experience their style and and learn about you, um, learn about yourself, learn about other people, and build these incredibly deep connections with all the other members of the organization. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's two days of that. So it ends up being sixteen hours a group, which is, I think I broke it out one time, it ends up being like something like eight months of group if you were to do it normally. Wow, that's um, right. Like, so it's like a blitz, Yeah. right? Um, um, if you do like, like I, th- I think I broke it's it. It's a th- binge. It's a binge. <laughs> so, yeah, it's, a binge. <laughs> it's a group bender. <laughs> yeah, yeah, which is kind of why I like, you know? Yeah. Um, so it ends up being like actually a, quite a bit of treatment, uh-huh. like all at once. Uh-huh. Um, and then the next three days are the workshops, which uh, you can take on many different topics and you can learn about all different kinds of styles and many of those are experiential too um, I tend to go to the ones that are highly experiential uh-huh. uh, I like the ones that have pros- practice groups uh-huh. um, I'm the kind of person that learns by doing mm-hmm. um, so I just like to just see it in action it's like throw me in yeah throw me in let me do it I volunteer for everything uh-huh. you know like why not uh-huh. and then maybe I'll pick up like one or two little nuggets and that's great I can bring that back to my practice here uh-huh. in Colorado um, so yeah so I, I love that conference and what got me into it was was Jeff Price actually um, during my second year of Naropa? He he's a big advocate for AGPA. Very very he's vocal, the hugest <laughs> advocate. Um, and he's like, you should Thank go. God, you know. Thank God, yeah, I know. Yeah. He's great. You know. He's like he's like you should go. And I'm like, okay. I was doing <laughs> shit. You know. I, 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 like like I th- I think it was in New Orleans. I think that was the first one. Oh wow. Yeah, that, I didn't go to that one. That I went to. Yeah. Yeah. So like you know, there's like there's like the adult mark that's like I should go to this and like network with people and like become a professional. And then there's like the adolescent mark that's like, fuck yeah, Mardi Gras. Yeah. <laughs> Bourbon Street. Yeah. 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 Like, I'm just going to go party yeah. and try and get, like, Naropa to pay for me to do it. So this is your second year at Naropa. Were you, so, were you completely sober by this point, or were you still um, dabbling? At that point, I think I'd stopped smoking. I think drinking had increased for the time. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was definitely drinking in New Orleans. Funny how that works, right? Yeah, exactly. Like, it was just this <laughs> kind of, like, scale right. thing. Um, cigarettes are always around. But yeah, uh, and then the hard, hard drugs again, off and on. But it was, it was definitely on the down. It was on, like, I see. the down slope. Uh-huh. Um, so, and then, you know, something about me is, like, even though I'm sober, like, I still party a lot. Uh-huh. Like, I still go to a lot of concerts, a lot of shows, 
Um, I'm in the rave community, so I go to like a lot of these really big gatherings. And I'm sober at them, uh-huh. but I really do get a lot out of, um, and maybe something about group dynamics or like mob dynamics. Uh-huh. <laughs> like I, I, I like being in really intense crowds of people. So I'm into like really intense music where people are, like you can just feel the energy in the air. Mm-hmm. And I just like really enjoy that. It's like um, a large group process in a sense. It's like people really sharing in a communal experience. Yeah, yeah, and and especially with I love dancing. So especially with electronic music, it's it's like an ecstatic experience. Yeah, where it's just totally nonverbal and mm-hmm. it's just like a seething mass of humanity, uh-huh. and I just like that. Yeah, you know, yeah. I just like being there. And and something that I had promised myself, and you know, then my therapist is that like I will not give this up to yeah. be sober. Right. Like I'm not going to be like the the dry drunk that sits at home and like just totally. like reads like this is a huge part of my personality and like one of my challenges was to do those things sober right and to be honest that made my recovery process a little more difficult uh-huh. because i'm just like diving into the mouth of the beast over and over and over again because because uh, you know for those that you for those viewers at home raves and drugs are incredibly intertwined right absolutely um, they're sometimes i think synonymous. i'm synonymous they're synonymous yeah sometimes i think i'm the only sober person there right like by a like Miles. <laughs> so can I ask you a question yeah. about that interview? Yeah. Actually, because you know, one of the th- one of um, the pieces I love are uh, fish shows. I love the band Fish. Mm-hmm. And, you know, um, go on fish tours when I was younger. You know, this that, and the other thing. It's another. It's another scene yeah. where yeah. drugs and alcohol and uh, fish music are go hand in hand. But one of the things that's actually I, I found very supportive is that. Um, there are sober, there, there's a very strong subgroup within the fish community of, of sober people that want to be able to go to the shows and really enjoy the music and the scene without um, indulging, you know? Mm-hmm. And that's, it's called the fellowship. And you know, the Grateful Dead has uh, the Wharf Rats and mm-hmm. you know, there are these subgroups of people that really try to support one another in being sober. Have you found that within the rave scene at all? No. No. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's awesome. Yeah. Um, not in the rave scene that, I, that I'm a part of. I mean, I, I know in the Burning Man scene and in that kind of electronic music area there are, like, like AA actually goes to the burn and stuff like that. Uh-huh. But I go to many like industrial raves and like dubstep shows, which uh-huh. are, I think it's a newer medium, so it doesn't have that yet. And it's just a very aggressive medium. So I, I personally haven't. So that really takes, I would imagine, just a lot of resilience and stability in your sobriety to, to go to those kind of scenes and to maybe feel like the only person that's actually sober. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, um, it was. And it was challenging for a while, but now I've, I feel like I, I, I'm one of the people have the most fun there. Uh-huh. You know, like I just dance my ass off and I get to talk to people and I'm just like there and I, and I feel free. So it actually is like motivating cool. my sobriety cool. to be like, wow, I used to not be able to do this sober and now I'm like... Yeah commanding this room totally you know it's such a different way of you know just having been to shows before when i was using and then shows when i've been sober it's such a different experience Mm -hmm. and i wonder if you find that too going to a rave or going to a party and actually being able to take in the experience in a totally different way yeah it's like it's like looking into like a zoo sometimes just seeing people because you can see go back to the cocoon metaphor i think drugs really narrow people's perceptions where they're just kind of get more and more into their own shit Mm -hmm. and when you're sober you can kind of have that panoramic awareness and just like see the party as it is Mm -hmm. and that's kind of mind-blowing for me yeah you know i mean just seeing shows and just seeing the the chaos that's there and not being a part of the chaos just like watching it yeah i mean like oh wow okay um and also, as far as parties, like noticing how boring house parties are, uh, and by like, comparison, yeah, 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 by, by, by comparison, how people like drink to like deal with their boredom, right? 
You know, like or how their, uh, or their awkwardness, their uh, discomfort of being social. Right. Yeah. Exactly. There's like drink, 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 drink. It's like it's like awkward for two hours, and then like something random happens, and then it's over. Uh-huh. You know, but. I mean, part of me, like, was I work with social anxiety, part of what I had to get over, I used to be a really shy kid, and I used to get over, like, I have to just, like, go and engage with people and just, like, open yeah. people and just, like, talk to them and just try and, like, get people to conversate, mm-hmm. you know? And that was, like, hard for me, but also really beneficial. Yeah. To, well, it's to so interesting to hear that, Mark, because I, I so <laughs> experience you as somebody that, that actually really seems a skill for. I mean, you seem... Um, you seem so comfortable in your skin, and maybe that's good acting, or maybe it's the result of being in so many groups for so long, but you seem to connect to people so easily and so graciously. Yeah, thanks. I, I think, I mean, you're, I mean, you're seeing me towards the end of my treatment thing, though, uh-huh. right? Like, uh-huh. I mean, this was, like, it's not acting. It's, it's, I mean, it's who I am now, uh-huh. and it's as a result of a ton of treatment Yeah. and a ton of, like, Work. Work. You've been working at. You've been yeah. really working at this. Yeah. And working. Yeah. And, and treatment. Working. You know, on the dance floor. You uh-huh. know, like, <laughs> like working, working, just like in the world, trying to meet people, like working with my family. Uh huh. Um. So it's good. It's really good to actually hear that. Yeah. That um. You know. And. But when I was a kid, like I mean, I, I couldn't. I mean, I was so shy. I couldn't even like buy something at a store. Really? Yeah. Like like like, like I couldn't even do like a scripted interaction of like. Hello, how's your day? Good, here's the money. You know, like... Yeah. No, you know? Uh, um, you were that shy. Oh, yeah, I was, like, cripplingly shy. That is so interesting. Yeah, I was, like, really shut down. So, I mean, I spent my time, like, on the computer playing video games or just with a nose in the book So all the introverted. So introverted. Wow. Yeah, and I would, like, you know... I, I didn't talk to people. I mean, for the first maybe 15 years of my life, like, I, I chatted with people because that was when the internet was coming up and uh-huh. I used, like, AOL Instant Messenger. Mm-hmm. And that was actually, like, really big for me because I could, like... I wouldn't have to be face-to-face with someone. I could just, like, type. Uh-huh. And I could just, like, you know, take my time when I was answering and uh-huh. think of what I wanted to say. Uh-huh. Um, so that's where I, like, started actually, like, communicating with other humans, uh-huh. you know? Yeah. Um, but that's still, like, a mostly anonymous form of communication. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, just through, like, a lot of work. And, and, and honestly, you know, a lot of rejection. A lot of just, like, getting rejected over and over and over again. Almost like exposure therapy. Like, at this point, you've been rejected so many times, you're not concerned about it anymore. It's right. Like, yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. I know who I am. Totally. <laughs> you know? Like, uh, absolutely. It's wonderful. Yeah. It's kind of, yeah. like, counterintuitive. Yeah. But, like, you know, when someone rejects you, I'm just like, okay, you just don't know. It's yeah. fine. You don't get it. You don't get it. <laughs> like, I get it. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. But, like, it's cool. Right. You know? So, so, in a way, it's like I don't need that validation mm-hmm. as much anymore. Mm-hmm. I mean, of course, there's some people that I still very care about the validation mm-hmm. from, but... For most people, it's like, I, I've kind of validated myself, so it's great. Yeah, wonderful. It's like either they're playing with me or they're not. And yeah. It's fine either way. Yeah. You know? Uh-huh. So we started talking about AGPA, and then we actually got into raves, and I wonder <laughs> if there might be some common thread there, because people who go to AGPA for the first time, and by AGPA, I mean the annual conference, mm-hmm. they, you know, they're like, wow, this is so stimulating. You know, it is just... Um, it's such an intense place to be. Um, you think there's any commonality there, how we went from talking about the conference to talking about raves? I think so. I mean, we got to follow, follow that unconscious thread, you know? <laughs> yeah, but like, but I, yeah, I think there is. I mean, kind of what you're saying, that it can be very overwhelming for a lot of new people. Mm. Um, I think kind of from two, two reasons. The first being just the intensity of the institute. Mm-hmm. Um, just being in groups of people that have been group members for 10, 15, 20 years. Uh-huh. And AGPA kind of has um, somewhat of a reputation of being a tough crowd, uh-huh. um, where it's pe- highly intelligent people, like p- 
professors from all over the world and like it's kind of intimidating it's intimidating yeah yeah that will like come and, and they'll ask you incredibly pointed questions uh-huh you know um or if you're, you know, a lucky presenter, will oh. really fact check you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. On everything. I've heard it's called like entering the Shark Tank. You know, as a, to be a presenter at AGPA. <laughs> yeah, that's what it feels like. Yeah. You know, because I mean, you're with the best. Right. You know, and for someone like me, that actually excites me because I, I like to be tested by the best. Uh-huh. You know. Uh-huh. Um, but I can understand how it can be intimidating to just be with this like whole crew of people uh-huh. that are very skilled. Um, and that are very invested in, in the organization. I mean, I've dabbled in a few other professional organizations, but by far, AGPA has the most dedicated member base I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. I mean, because it's so personal. Yeah. You know, it's not just like networking and people, bullshitting. People who are into it are just passionate and dogged in their love for AGPA and for, would you even say, like, the the specific subgroup that they occupy, whether that's modern analysis or whether that's, you know, relational or interpersonal, their people are very, very passionate about their particular niche within the organization. I would agree. Yeah, yeah. people are, like, really into their schools of thought. Schools, yeah. Um, which is cool. Absolutely. It's cool to totally. people that are really passionate and, like, highly educated on, like, what they specialize yeah. in. Yeah, yeah. Um, I tend to joke, it's like therapist uh, high school sometimes, <laughs> where everyone's like in their own like little clique and you can yeah. tell they even, they even dress differently based yeah. on what, what school they come from. Uh-huh. Um, but, Should uh, we expand on that? Yeah, let's tease out the metaphor more. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it feels like that. I think that would be intimidating to new members, but like you, know, you, uh, you have like the modern analytics that are like, you know, all wearing suits and are all like very uh-huh. like professional and they, uh-huh. and they walk and you'll give like Bob Unger in the center of them and they're like, they're like, they're like a fighter you know, um, a, a, like a fighter squadron, uh-huh. like in the wedge formation, just like going <laughs> like a fal- down. A phalanx or what a, is a, it? A, a, a phalanx? A phalanx. A phalanx. <laughs> yeah, like they're like, they're like, you know, they're intimidating. And then you have like the, um, like the California like sex therapists that are like, these like gorgeous women in like flowing fucking robes. And you're like, what the, what are you? Uh-huh. You know, that like, they just don't break eye contact with you ever. Uh-huh. You know, um, you have a little like Naropa group where we're all like wearing like mala beads. Yeah. You know? uh, yeah. <laughs> and we're all like, into like diversity um, and like oppression, uh-huh. um, we're, like, like the, we're like the like revolutionaries of the of the group. Um, uh-huh. You have the um, who else? Oh, the, the the Baton Rouge crew that all like wear oh, like the, the Baton Rouge. Yeah, crew, like all yeah. like the Louisiana people. They always all, seem like they're having so much fun. Yeah, I they're just that crew. partying. Yeah. Like, they're just, like <laughs> fucking going. Yeah. Those guys are great. Um, and then you have, yeah, and you have the addictions counselors where we're all outside smoking cigarettes. Yeah, that's right in hoodies. Um, <laughs> in hoodies, yeah, exactly. Like in every break. Yeah. Like we're just out there smoking. Like every single break, uh-huh. we're just uh-huh. like getting our getting hit. Um, so yeah, are there any groups you can? What else you got? Oh, I think that was actually pretty comprehensive. Uh, there's the dance people. You yeah. Know, I got to. I remember a few years ago. Um, I, I tend to go more towards the, the, the modern analysts and was really, you know, watching a lot of the demo groups and that kind of thing. And then at some point I was like, I, you know, I can't sit anymore. I need to, I need to go dance. And I ended up in this um, presentation by a dance group therapist and we danced the whole time. It was very nonverbal. Mm-hmm. So it was the other end of the spectrum because of course the modern analysts are always saying, put any thought or feeling or impulse into words. Mm-hmm. And in this, in this dance presentation, it was just, uh, completely embodied in the sense of, of just moving. You know, I actually, I actually think that in some ways it overlapped really well with modern analysis because it was another form of just very direct expression. Mm-hmm. But it was, um, it was, it was a great compliment, and it also showed the the 
diversity and the breadth of what AGPA has to offer. It's it really is like a high school or like a uh, like a university. Mm -hmm. We're underneath the university. There are all these different colleges and different schools of thought, and everybody's kind of invited to the table. Mm -hmm. Well, I think it makes it great. Yeah. And then what also makes the Institute great is that you have all these people like it. It's like that's the one chance where the clicks kind of break down uh -huh. because it's just kind of a random selection of people. Uh -huh. um, so you get all these people that are from all the different, you know, schools kind of playing together in the sandbox. Yeah. Um, so how many times have you been to AGPA since? I don't know. See, we did, we did uh, New Orleans, did San Francisco, I did New York. I feel like I did another one. I think it's four. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to go this year to New York again. New mm -hmm. York round two. Would you consider yourself to be a, a lifer? Probably. Uh -huh. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I've like got involved in a local affiliate, so yeah. I think I'm pretty much in it. You yeah, know? you're I, in now. Like, I think as long as I'm a therapist, I'll be going to AGPA. How come? Why? I mean, um, to play the devil's advocate, it's mm -hmm. expensive. Mm -hmm. It's intimidating. Um, it's very, very stimulating. Uh, why why keep subjecting yourself over and over again to this experience? Because it's fun. <laughs> I don't know, man. I mean, like, I get it. It's it, because, I mean, I get a lot out of it. I, I get a lot out of it. Uh -huh. um, and what I get out of it more is the personal piece. I mean, yeah, there's the networking and the professional and the learning and like I can be a better clinician and whatever. Uh -huh. Like, but. I get so much out of those process groups. Yeah, like it feels like just like a shot in the arm therapeutically, mm -hmm. and that's my content in my personal therapy for like the next like three months. Oh yeah, is like yeah. the shit that went down. Yeah, and what AGPA those process groups in particular do for me is they open up questions. Like it's really a great way of again breaking a little more of that cocoon off. Yeah, and just like ripping open a hole, and I'm mm -hmm. just like now I have a bunch of like why did I do that? Yeah, or like what was that feeling about? Or wow, I got really triggered by like some random sentence. Yeah. And that really fascinates me. So it really keeps you on your therapeutic edge, mm -hmm. on your edge personally, um, which then feeds into your work. Is that what you would say? Yeah, definitely. Because I think the more processed I get as a person, the more present I can be for clients. Mm -hmm. And that's, um, that's what drew me to Naropa's program. That's mm -hmm. like, I think that's a big, if you could crystallize Naropa's stance, mm -hmm. it's that. Yeah. It's like, heal yourself almost exclusively and then like mm -hmm. as a side effect you will be a good therapist mm -hmm. yeah <laughs> yeah you know it's interesting the it seems like one of the core values within a gpa's educational framework is the experiential mm -hmm. and that really is the foundation of naropa as well it's like if you want to learn something you've got to jump into it and be willing to do it yourself like these mm -hmm. retreats for example that you were talking about mm -hmm. yeah yeah i mean that's yeah because uh, I, I think it's it's almost Actually, not almost. I think it is incredibly dangerous to ask a client to go to a place that you haven't been yourself. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying you have to have the, the same story content and, the, and have experienced everything that your client's experienced because that's, you know, impossible. Mm -hmm. But the, the emotional tones and the emotional intensity is, I would believe, consistent throughout, regardless of kind of the storyline, like the content, right? Yeah. The process piece, I think, can be con consistent. You know, anger feels the same. Grief feels the same. Mm -hmm. And... If I'm not okay with my aggression or okay with my sadness or my grief, when my client goes there, I'm going to abandon them right. in a very real way. I'm going to like disassociate and just cut that connection. Or shut them down. Shut them down, right? Yeah. In the one time where they need me the most. Right. Right. So being a good therapist is constantly looking at your blind spots? I would agree. Uh -huh. Yeah, looking at blind spots and extending the sense of self. Mm -hmm. You know, like mm -hmm. extending my like ego formation into... Being like, yeah, I can incorporate this into my sense of self. Mm -hmm. 
um, without shame, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. You know, with or without shadow, without having to like distance myself. Yeah. You know, I mean, something I really like about um, modern analysis and just classical analysis is the idea of incorporating the shadow. That's kind yes. of like. And shadow not being, you know, for people that don't know, it's not like evil, it's not bad. Uh-huh. I think it gets that kind of stereotype. It's like, oh, it's like the bad parts of you. It's like, no, it's the parts of you that you don't own. Yeah. And they can be positive or negative or judgment-free. Right. Um, and I think a really good, my current method of healing or my current model of healing is like expanding the ego to consume the shadow, to mm-hmm. contain the shadow mm-hmm. as much as possible. Mm-hmm. You know, um, so for someone like me, like I don't like feeling cowardly or I don't mm-hmm. like feeling uh, drained. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I'm getting better. But when I feel like low energy, I really get hard on myself mm-hmm. because I just don't want to believe that 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 I'm pos- capable mm-hmm. of being low energy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that sucks. But the the work is not to always be high energy. The goal is to the work is to be OK with being low energy. Yeah. And, and that's my shadow. Right. Is the times where I don't feel like I'm on point or mm-hmm. I don't feel like I'm, I'm engaged. Mm-hmm. Um, but having to make room for that as well. Right. Having to yeah. be like, that's also me. Yeah. That's yeah. fine. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I, um, can, I can contain that as well. Right. Yeah. yeah that I can, can be a part of me. Yeah. I can bring my awareness to that and, and yeah. be there and be like, yeah, that's part of who I am. Like, I'm a full human. Right. I have the full range. Yeah. Um, it's really liberating, actually, I think, just to be able to uh, feel acclimated to any kind of thought or feeling that might arise. Mm-hmm. That be able to put words to it, be able to consciously acknowledge it be able to relate around it, whatever that experience might be. And it sounds like group has really been a format that's allowed that for you. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. Group has really, group has really done it because, you know, you get swept up in these like group waves, mm-hmm. you know? And I think one of the best ones, or the easiest ones to identify is grief. When people start talking about death and loss, it's palpable. Mm-hmm. Like just the energy just like, yeah. I'm, feeling, I'm feeling it now, right? You're just saying mm-hmm. that. The energy just like sinks and it, mm-hmm. the air gets like sticky mm-hmm. and all of a sudden everyone's got a story because everyone you know, everyone's got a story of grief yeah. and loss and what a great opportunity, mm-hmm. you know? And, I, and, and the group can really, I think, push in a good way members into experiences that maybe they try to deny. Mm-hmm. Um, grief and loss being a great one or some people like, pretend like that never happens and all of a sudden everyone's talking about losing a parent and you're just in it, mm-hmm. you know? Um, same with something like, like aggression, right? If the, if the energy of the group really spins up and it gets really aggressive, all of a sudden you just have to work with that, mm-hmm. you know? Um, so that's one thing I really like about group is that part of it is not in my control, mm-hmm. you yeah. know? Yeah. So it pushes me into those parts of the shadow that maybe an individual I would be really skillful at avoiding, Yeah, <laughs> you know? Yeah. But now it's I, I have to avoid like 10 other people totally. and that's impossible. The cocoon cannot endure for long <laughs> can't when, endure you're, it. when you're in relationship with other people because it seems like over the course of a group, you're gonna experience anything. You're gonna experience anything and everything. Right, Yeah. right. And it's gonna just like rip and tear at that cocoon mm-hmm. over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. So can I ask you a question about that? Because yeah. it seems like um, we're facing a particular challenge for those of us who really appreciate group therapy, really feel like it it's, um, can be a great benefit to people because there's this perception that I think people might have outside the group world that group therapy is kind of a second rate sort of option mm-hmm. for individual therapy, mm-hmm. that maybe people just sort of do it for economic reasons or because they can't uh, they can't do individual therapy for any number of reasons. Um, so there's a way in which it seems like group therapy sort of gets disparaged. And I wonder your thoughts about how we work with that for those of us who really value it and actually think, feel like it really has so much more to offer people. Yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a really good question. It's something that we definitely run up against 
And before I answer that, I want to say I think in most cases that assumption is actually true. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I think, in, especially in a lot of agency treatment centers and especially a lot of the you know, court-mandated world that, that I work in, um, a lot of the kind of hospital-type settings, that is the motivation. Mm-hmm. And they're not, they're not um, you know, uh, covert about that. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I remember being in a lot of staff meetings where they're like, we need to shove as many people into a room as possible mm-hmm. so we don't have to pay you that much, you mm-hmm. know, you being the therapist, uh-huh. and we can just push people through this fucking DUI system. Uh-huh. I mean, that is the motivation, uh-huh. um, which is sad, uh-huh. you know? And I think a lot of groups... A lot of people aren't like therapists aren't trained in groups, and, uh-huh. and they run them like like classes uh-huh. where there's a curriculum and there's a book and there's homework and it's like a set module. Um, and not that process doesn't happen because it definitely does in those kinds of groups, but the whole idea of group is, mm-hmm. I think, very different. Yeah, you know, and I that's why like an organization like AGPA, and I'm grateful for my education in Europa, where it shows group is a very different type of treatment. Mm-hmm. So to go back to what you said, like yeah, it is. I think it is actually a more effective type of treatment than an individual. Mm-hmm. Um, one of my supervisors, um, Elizabeth Olson, says that individual is just a way to get ready for group, Ah, which I think there's a lot of truth to that. Totally. Because I wouldn't be ready, essentially me as a client, like the first couple of years, like I just need someone just to shut up and listen to me for like two years. Uh-huh. And I said to just like cry every week for like a year. Yeah. And I couldn't have done that in a group. Yeah. You know, there wouldn't and have been room for that. Wouldn't room for that. That's yeah. too monopolizing. Yeah. You know, but now that I'm much more insulated, I can I can understand like the the, the power of group, and I'm ready for group. So you actually you feel know? like people need to be at a certain level of stability or resiliency to be able to be in a group and sit through the full process. Yes, I would agree, especially if it's an open process group. Uh-huh. If it's a group that the only instructors put your thoughts and feelings into words, you gotta have some idea of what you want to talk right. about. Right. You know, um, I think if it's a more support group structure. Uh huh where there's a topic and it's not really about giving feedback or about learning, it's just about kind of camaraderie, I think that you can just do that. You yeah, know? or even group settings where there's no crosstalk, for example, like AA or 12-step meetings, you know, is an example of a group where there's no crosstalk and, and that's a very specific kind of structured format that might allow somebody to be in a group experience where there's not the live engagement that can, other, that can sometimes be very, very distressing, mm-hmm. very uh, generative in a group process, but uh, also very distressing for somebody who might be completely new to, to what a group experience might be like. Yeah, absolutely. Like something with more structure is needed, but I think for like, well, more structure is needed for a beginner person. I think for someone who's been through a lot of therapy, the open structure and no structure is, like you said, yeah, incredibly generative and incredibly triggering mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. a lot of people. Yeah. Um, but I think we just need to, I mean, to kind of go back to your original question, I think education is important. I mean, that's mm-hmm. why I love AGPA and what mm-hmm. they're trying to do and what I'm trying to do with CGPS is like, tell people that groups don't have to be run like classes yeah. to actually be like, this is what group therapy is. Because I don't even think our field as a whole knows what group therapy is. Mm-hmm. You know, and I'm like, that's not an exaggeration. Like, I yeah. think most therapists don't understand what group is. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that's where that's There's really validity to how people have gotten this perception. Yeah, like yeah. I'm saying, I think it's like a real perception. I think it's yeah. an accurate perception. Yeah. Um, I think there's a few of us, and, and there's more and more of us as AGPA's numbers grow, um, that really value the depth working group and really uh-huh. value these kind of more relational type groups. Yeah. Um, but we're definitely in the minority. Right. Without a doubt. Yeah. You know, I mean, I'm, you know, I go to a lot of trainings and I'm blown away by how little work people do. Mm hmm. You know, like oh. where I'm talking to these people who are just doing their trains to get their CEUs and they don't really care and they're doing the minimum 
and me and I would assume you, it's like, I'm reading about therapy all the time. Yeah. Like I always have like one book about therapy that I'm constantly like chewing on. Or 50. Yeah. <laughs> you know, right? My wife always likes to look at our, the table next to my bed at night and it's just, you know, it's just, sta- it's like the great wall of books. She's <laughs> like, honey, you've got to move those elsewhere. And I'm like, no, you know, it's something so comforting about just always having access to um, a therapeutic book or just a book that's going to be kind of um, jogging me in a particular way to be thinking about mm-hmm. something or listening a new idea or an, a new thought about a client or about a dynamic that I'm facing in my groups. It, it keeps it really alive. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like the ability to just like constantly be continuing to learn, like the willingness to learn Yeah. is something I talk about a lot. And to, for, for brevity, I think it's something that is lacking from a lot of people and, and from, I think, our field too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, where people just do it, they go through grad school and they think they're done. And they think they're ready to just jump in. Yeah. Yeah. And for me, it's like, you're just beginning. Like, yeah. like, like when I'm out for grad school, like I'm pretty sure I'm not going to fuck someone up. That's like my level of competency. Uh-huh. It's uh-huh. like, I'm sure I'm not going to break you. Well, that's great. That's good. In the ethics code, it's first you know? do no harm, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Like I might not help you, yeah. but I'm not going to like make it worse. <laughs> right. Probably. I might still, but like yeah. probably won't. <laughs> Chances are reduced. Yeah. 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 You know, and then my hope is over the next, whatever, 40 years of my career, like I'll be effective. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know? Yeah. One can only hope that one day we'll be effective in our job. <laughs> um, right. But I think I think that's something that's really lacking from the the psychology field yeah. um, of that kind of like willingness to learn, and I'm, and that's why another thing I like AGPA about because it's like people there have that willingness mm-hmm. and the willingness to learn not only about the field but about themselves mm-hmm. as well, mm-hmm. um, which in our work, thank God, is actually interconnected. Yeah, like that's why I love being a therapist. I think it's the best job ever because it's like you just get to work on yourself too. Like, yeah, like I, I get to become a master of what it means to be human. Yeah. Tight. Yeah. Like how this, cool is that? How cool is that? Yeah, right. Cool. Like I could work on it's like so rich. fucking airplane brakes <laughs> or something, right? Yeah, yeah. Or like cement mixtures. Mm-hmm. No, I get to work on like the 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 question, like the biggest question we've ever had mm-hmm. of like why, like uh-huh. just like the like the primordial why, like uh-huh. why are why uh-huh. are we here? Yeah. Yeah. I'm happy about. It. I'm into that. Yeah, totally. <laughs> I mean, you have to spend a life path where you're going to spend endless hours over the course of your life. How cool to be talking with people and relating with people about the core aspects of what makes us human. Right. Yeah. Right. Like I love that. Yeah. I love that. I'm so I'm so grateful for this job every day. Yeah. You know. Well, I know a lot of us are very grateful that you've taken up the mantle of being COGPS president, um, mm-hmm. having taken it over from Casey Burnett, who really, uh, I think so many of us are grateful that he really kept COGPS going mm-hmm. and created a foundation to what was a situation that, you know, it had uh, come alive and then stalled so many different times. But Casey really um, was so uh, formative and really helping to create some ground that really now it seems like you're building on. Mm-hmm. Would you say anything about kind of your inspiration for that role and for what you see or what you would really want moving forward for COGPS? I realize there's a whole platform here mm-hmm. that you know, you know, maybe you don't have to go into every p- piece of it, but just in the broad stroke, what your inspiration or what your vision for that situation is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so what got me to the role was kind of an arbitrary goal. I was like, I'm just gonna do this uh-huh. and see if I can get away with it. And I did. (laughs) (laughs) So that's, you know, that's still like the adolescent in me. Uh It's like, can I just be the president? Uh Uh-huh. I guess, okay. Oh, wow. I can. I just, all right. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) You know, I'll just make a video and like, whatever. You know, (laughs) vote for me. Um, 
So that was that was really the motivator. Yeah. Um, I mean, it was that, and I mean, from this, and see, my voice even changes as I as I talk from my other my other part. It's like, and I really want to contribute to AGPA on the local level. Uh-huh. You know, I've I've been a very political person for a lot of my life, and and I'm a big proponent of local politics, and this uh-huh. is kind of an extension of that. Uh-huh. You know, of like getting involved in an organization at like the grassroots level. Yeah, is like really important to me. Yeah. Um. So this is a, a way a way to do that. Mm-hmm. Um. So as far as like the platform, uh, the, the quick platform is, I hope to really start expanding on what our past president did, mm-hmm. um, and really working with uh, digital content mm-hmm. and marketing, mm-hmm. um, kind of putting COGPS on the map, not only for AGPA but kind of for Colorado and and, and for the United States, hopefully, mm-hmm. as being a real hub for quality group education um, that's available for incredibly low prices yeah um, that's well organized and that gives out information and disseminates what it what group is you mm-hmm. know to go back to our previous question of I think a lot of people don't know what group is mm-hmm. and I think this is like another soapbox of mine you know there's this thing in our in our field we talk about the stigma of mental health right where it's like people don't want to go to treatment and they got to think that they're mm-hmm. crazy or mm-hmm. that they're broken to mm-hmm. go and, and... Like seeing a therapist is a shameful thing. Right, seeing yeah. a therapist is a shameful thing. It means that you're like a psycho or whatever, yeah. you know? And I think our, our field, and I'm actually incredibly angry about this, our field fucked up. Our field failed that mm-hmm. because what we did is we put on the client. Mm-hmm. We told clients, we're like, hey clients, you go tell people you're in therapy. Mm-hmm. Hey clients, you go like, you know, preach about how great your group is. You go do the work for mm-hmm. us. and. I think that needs to change mm-hmm. like yesterday mm-hmm. because as we've done that for clients as therapists we've stayed in the shadows mm-hmm. we've been in the back where we don't tell people what our jobs are or we get like really weird about being out and being public or we don't have to describe what it is we do or how we do it right we don't talk about it at all yeah like I've met a lot of therapists that are incredibly shut down about what they do and that it's like this very secretive cloistered sort of thing right yeah. right where they're like oh I'll just go and talk to people or help people people's problems they don't they're just they're not they don't share it and I think our, our field needs to get a lot more visible uh-huh. as to like who we are and what therapy is and why it's beneficial. Uh-huh. And you see something like the, the field of coaching that has just arisen in like literally the past 20 years, 20, 30 years, that is blowing up because the coaches have that piece. They're willing to talk about, they're willing to describe what it is they do and yeah. kind of pull the curtain back, so to speak. Yeah. 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 And they're willing to advertise and they're willing to market. Yeah. And it's like, it's not just about sales, it's about transparency. Uh-huh. You know? And we're so obscured as a field and, and people still think that therapy means, you know, Sigmund Freud. And it's like, how did that, that was like a hundred years ago. Yeah. Like, are you kidding me right now? <laughs> You're like, we really like, no one knows? Uh-huh. No the advances one. and the ways it's shifted and changed and grown and expanded and yeah. different things have been refuted and those kinds of pieces. Yeah. Right. Like they have no idea. Yeah. And then you know, again, you have something like coaching where people are very vocal and, and, and they're not just coaches, but they're authors and they're speakers and they're doing things like podcasts and they're just getting out there. Right. And I think, I mean, I think coaching is incredibly valid and I think we offer something that's very different. And I would very say- different more healing mm-hmm. whereas coaching is very motivating and inspiring and I think I mean I personally have a coach so I think having both is important uh-huh. um, but I think we need to be more we need to catch up yeah <laughs> like yeah. really need to uh-huh. catch up uh-huh. because we do a very different service that I think a lot of people need yeah um, it's interesting I wonder what does account for that and I even wonder about my own resistances to sometimes really think about or put into words how I articulate a particular 
uh, clinical situation or mm -hmm. impression and how I would almost give like an elevator speech about what I do and what informs that. Mm -hmm. It's interesting that um, there does seem to be a lot of hesitancy to, to describe or to discuss um, what the therapeutic process is like. You know, one of the things I'm also thinking of is that TV show um, in treatment that That's was a, on. That was a great show. That was that was a great show yeah. on HBO, and I remember hearing Gabriel Burns talk about why he thought the show was so incredibly successful, and he described this phenomenon of people being kind of fascinated by therapy because they just have no idea what's going on behind that mm -hmm. closed door. And that can also create a situation where sometimes people feel really intimidated to even get involved because they're not sure what they're getting themselves into. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think we need more shit like that. Mm -hmm. you know, I, I watched that show in uh, college when uh -huh. I was like getting into therapy, and uh -huh. that and that show actually, in a way, inspired me to be a therapist. Oh, uh -huh. you know, because well, I mean, it was it was HBO, so it's still yeah. definitely dr drama. Dramatized. But they did a good job, though. In some, I mean, mm -hmm. I, I I enjoyed that show, and I was thinking, wow, whoever they whoever they had consulting on that show from the analytic or therapeutic standpoint was pretty impressive. It was pretty good. Yeah, yeah, like they know about therapy. Yeah, you know, and just and I think the format of that show, which was literally a session, right? Every episode was a session, and right. that was like really cool that you just get like in almost real time. I mean, I think I think the sessions there were like 30 minutes or whatever, but like in almost real time, like what therapy looks like yeah. moment to moment to moment. Right. You know, and I think, and that when I talk about marketing, that's what I talk about. Mm -hmm. Like it's, it's, it's things like that. You know, I mean, to kind of loop back around to group treatment, right? So I, I run these groups that are social abuse focused. People think that group means um, AA, mm -hmm. right? I think they're gonna sit in a circle, uh -huh. even though they do. But you know, I think they say like, hey, my name is Mark, I'm an alcoholic. It's uh -huh. gonna be like a very somber experience. Uh -huh. It's gonna be like a very slow experience. It's gonna be like everyone takes their turn. Um, that's not how my groups are at all. Right. You know, but like AA has kind of like gotten that group market down, mm -hmm. you know? Um, so yeah, I think we really, we really need that. We really need, and I'd love to talk more, you know, either in this interview or, or out of, of like the resistance to get in the way of therapists being vocal. Right. You know, because I talk about my job to everybody. Mm -hmm. Like I think it's fucking cool as shit, you know? Mm -hmm. So like, I don't know, but, but I think it's something that our field needs to really, really get going. And this, I think this podcast is, a, is an amazing way to start to do that. Yeah. To be like, this is what I do and this is how I do it. Uh -huh. And people can really benefit and do benefit from it. Absolutely. Well, um, maybe by way of actually concluding the podcast, one of the things I, I did want to ask you before we ended was, what would you say is your current edge as a group therapist? What would you see as your... Um, the, currently the thing that you're working on or still really trying to look at or tweak or whatever that edge might be for you as a group therapist what, what would you what would you say or guess about that yeah I think I still get pulled into the trap of wanting members to like me uh, uh -huh. and I want to be part of the group uh -huh. um, a lot of the groups that I run being substance use focused is people that are literally my peers uh -huh. because I am so young. Uh -huh. um, so I think I get pulled into that with them a lot. And it was a place that I was just recently in, mm -hmm. you know, like mm -hmm. three, four, five years ago mm -hmm. of being them. Yeah. So I definitely like my groups, which I think benefits that, like it's, it's, it's yes and no, right? So like that's something I'm working on. And I think my groups benefit because I do take a very playful style of something to be streaming class. Like we're laughing, we're joking, we're having uh -huh. fun. And we're talking about really deep stuff all at the same time. Yeah. And I think for young adults, actually having a playfulness to it or like almost a sarcasm to it, even uh -huh. though we know we know we're not joking, yeah, is safer. Uh huh. Um, but it doesn't have that token uncomfortability that a lot of these open process groups that I've been in have. Uh huh. You know, and I think it's 
it, I know it comes from my own like fear of having them not like me for a little bit, mm-hmm. you know, or being or being almost rejected by by the whole group. And then are they still going to come? Is the group going to last? Right. Are they going to think it's a helpful experience? Right. Is it, are they going to be benefiting from it? Is it going to be too much, too fast? Uh-huh. You know, um, I think it's it's actually I think it's it's trust. I think it boils down to trusting the resiliency of of the group members. Mm. Um, something I'm still definitely working on. Yeah. Which I think, as we talked about with Jeff and Bob, like comes from a lot of experience mm-hmm. of being able to like sit with a lot of conflict and with a lot of difficult emotions and be like, no, they're going to be fine. Mm-hmm. Like I don't have that yet, and that's something that I continue to, to work towards mm-hmm. of knowing that they're going to be fine and really like in my bones trusting that. Yeah. And like those guys knowing when to step in. Yeah. You know, like knowing just where that edge is. How to titrate that level of tension or that level of aggression, right. whatever that might be. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Well, thank you so much, Mark. It's been such a pleasure talking to you on the podcast, and I appreciate all your thoughts and your vulnerability. Yeah, thanks. It's been good.